Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today's Threat Talk episode is about avoiding dumb mistakes with smart cities, obviously focusing on the common security missteps that uh, we see happening. Now, cities have been computerizing and automating many of their services for years, and many of them were building out online portals and mobile apps for their citizen services even before the pandemic accelerated those plans. And as a result, just as with businesses and other government agencies, cybercrime is taking advantage of these vulnerabilities and security gaps. So today we've invited Krupa Srivastan, Senior Director for Security Products at Infoblocks, to help us dig into this topic. Now she's been writing on this topic and presenting globally for some time. So Krupa, thank you for coming on to share your experience. Thanks Bob for having me. This is a really exciting topic. I'm happy to discuss more. Well, and what I'd like to start with is let's start talking about what makes a smart city more than, I mean, what makes it a smart city? It's, it's more than just automated traffic lights, right? That is right. So what is a smart city, right? So uh, we can start by kind of looking at smart city in a holistic way, right? Um, and if you look at how Gartner defines smart city, they call it a city that's designed to achieve holistic objectives. So what does that mean? So it means, you know, they're focusing on the entire like urban ecosystem and the development of the urban ecosystem, integrating their digital technologies that they're using uh, to, to service their citizens, right? The local, local community, how are they collaborating with the residents? And also, of course, it includes all the things that we're used to hearing, which is your smart, you know, traffic lights, smart parking meters. So all the IOT related kind of, uh, uh, digital devices that are now connected to the network and capturing data, sending data um, as part of this whole ecosystem. So it's not just those smart meters. It's also the uh, the way that the city offers services to the community, to the local community. And as you mentioned, Bob, you know, um, as the pandemic, you know, keeps moving on, there's a lot of people are looking for digital services. They don't want to line up in a, in a city office somewhere, building somewhere to get basic services uh, achieved, right? So they're, and so this, these cities are having to meet their constituents in the digital space, which is where, you know, which is how they prefer. Um, and so that also constitutes a smart city. And granted, you know, different cities are on different um, uh, parts of their journey, like they're in different stages right now. Some cities mm -hmm. are obviously more digitized, and, and uh, leverage all of these smart meters and smart devices more so than other cities. But most cities are on that path, right? Especially the yeah. larger cities. And it's global. It's not just US, right? It's globally. A lot of cities have projects and initiatives around digitization. Yeah, I like the holistic reference that you made because um, one of the things I want to make sure everybody's aware of is, you know, we can talk about how certain devices can become smart, like traffic lights, um, First, they were timed, and then it's late at night, and you're on your way home from having stayed late at work, and you're sitting at a light, and it's red, and nobody's coming the other way because it's late, and the traffic's not normal, but the timing was set up based on the average daytime amount of traffic and the way things flow. And a smart city, now we've got uh, more intelligent systems that can adapt to that with sensors and things like that, but even that doesn't make it a smart city. It makes it a smart device. The smart city is when all of this stuff's connected so that if all of a sudden there's road construction, that the system can adapt 
to the fact that there's all of a sudden going to be more traffic. Now that could be planned, but what about an accident? Um, what about um, when you have multiple systems coming together? Like on a lot, lot of uh, larger coastal cities, you've got people that um, they're using traffic lights to get to the ferry. They drive their car onto the ferry. Then the ferry has to cross, but those are timed and scheduled. Then maybe they park their car. Maybe they have to take a train. There's so many different systems that they work together. And that's what I want to make sure everybody understands that, um, you know, that's, that's the challenge. But one thing you didn't mention that I, I, I thought for sure you'd talk about, because you talk about this a lot, is IoT, the types of things they're putting. I mean, smart cities are one of the biggest consumers of true IoT. Isn't that true? That is correct, right? It's a lot. Uh, there is a lot of IoT devices in use in these smart cities. Now, there's some data and statistics that show that there's going to be uh, more than 9.7 billion IoT endpoints that will be generating data in smart cities uh, by 2029. So this could be data that's uh, as a result of embedded sensors, like you talked about automatically adjusting traffic lights, uh, you know, waste management, waste collection, and other services for, for more efficient operations. And, uh, you know, as, as we see more extreme weather events and disruptions uh, globally, I think this, these sensors become even more important, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, if there are any local activities like fires that you see in California, things like that, how can you get that information out to the community, to the first responders? Mm -hmm. All of those things um, uh, can be enabled by these smart IoT endpoints and devices. And so it's, we're just going to see an explosion of, of these type of devices. Um, so a couple of examples, if, if you look at um, Dallas, right, um, in, in Texas, obviously we all know it's uh, Texas is an arid region with not a lot of rainfall. And one of the Dallas's primary concerns is water management, right? So uh, what they're doing is they're adopting a smart water monitoring um, system where they can, uh, they can track usage throughout the city. Um, and these will be able to detect leaks, like these systems and sensors will be able to detect any water leaks to minimize wastage and things like that. And all of that information, you know, will be processed by the city's water department for them uh, so that they can fix any issues uh, quickly. So that's just one example of um, how these sensors are working to, uh, to make these cities more efficient, right? And yep. there are many, many, many other examples, right? Um, for example, you know, self-driving cars, we keep hearing about self-driving cars. And, and in San Francisco, they're looking at a, a vehicle grid uh, for self-driving cars, right? Um, and so you know exactly kind of the pattern, traffic patterns, you know, where congestion is likely to happen, things like that. So a lot of great, exciting examples. Yeah, and I've seen them on the emergency side as well, where uh, you mentioned the arid environments. I know there's uh, a, a couple of, municipalities uh, that I've talked to more on like a county or state level where um, they've they've got sensors that they put up in the mountains that let them know that all of a sudden a dry riverbed is getting flooded and they need to prepare for it in the city. And so they have to automatically have certain um, sewer systems adapt to be prepared to receive that much water so they don't end up backing up into other systems and things like that. So Disaster response, adapting to just human uh, changes in behavior, you know, it's the adaptability. But this is kind of where I think we're going to get into the meat of the security issue. Um, 
the question I had lined up to ask you is what are some of the unique challenges to a smart city? Now, that's kind of a loaded question. What are the unique challenges for a smart city security team? What are, what are they dealing with? Is it really unique? So in certain ways, it is unique simply because the, the amount of non-standard diverse endpoints in these smart cities is, is significant, right? It's different from your standard kind of enterprise or an organization that is, you know, maybe a financial organization or uh, a retail or something, right? Here in this situation, there are a lot of diverse endpoints, like we talked about, IoT devices, and it, almost like smart city is almost exclusively dealing with remote devices, right? And so, and there are kind of on the leading edge of, of IoT. So the biggest challenge in that scenario is visibility. Just, just knowing what devices are on the network and gathering data is, is a huge challenge, right? Especially when you don't have standard devices. So visibility is, is a top, top concern. And related to that is management of all these devices, right? Um, so um, how can you make sure that, you know, the data, um, uh, you know, or the devices that, uh, that are connecting are managed efficiently, are, are, are up to date in terms of, you know, if they need to be patched, for example, um, many of these devices are non-standard, so you may not be able to deploy too much of security um, software on, on those devices as well. So you have th that issue. And then finally, just the data collection, right? Um, these sensors are there for a reason. They are there to gather real-time data and send it to a centralized server or something where that data is analyzed and processed. How do you it keep the integrity of that data and how do you secure that data um, when the you know the line between the physical and the digital words are blurring so i think that's that's another huge challenge uh for smart cities uh, and a lot of these systems could be mission critical right like for your traffic lights you know if they malfunction you're going to have accidents right so um reliability right on all of those things are, are super critical i mean these are similar challenges you see in, in other environments, but in, in smart cities, it becomes uh, very acute and it becomes um, mission critical. Yeah, it's it's almost more a matter of scale. So it's the technically the issues like patching and stuff like that are the same, but the scale and the fact that so much remote, I, I think the remote aspect is the one that kind of shocked me the most when I got into it, because I thought, well, you know, you're, you're just VPN and you, you own that traffic system, right? Yeah, but every traffic light, traffic light is an IoT device. Um, every parking meter, every water meter on every building and home, um, there's just everything is remote. So in an or two things that stood out to me. Number one, in, in a corporate or even a lot of government agencies that I work with, they have a lot of stuff on their network and they have a lot of remote stuff, but, you know, it's it's not, you know, most of it's connected to the network. Here, almost everything is not connected to the network. Almost everything is remote. And so it's that scale alone gets to be a significant challenge. And then you highlighted, of course, the fact that you can't put uh, security on a lot of these devices. They're proprietary locked-in devices, part of their security benefits, security features that you can't modify them, like my iPhone. You know, I can't do anything to it because it's supposedly safe. So you kind of have to trust the, the vendor. But that kind of lead, or leads to the whole downside, the impact thing. Mm -hmm. In, you know, anybody who's watching the picture here can see the gray hair. I've been in a few organizations in my time, 
And in any one, they have a couple of systems that are considered mission critical. And there's a lot of other systems that if they go down, there's a department who's a little frustrated or something like that, but they're not considered mission critical to the overall organization. In a smart city, practically every system is mission critical for somebody. Some of their constituents, you know, it's going to, oh, it's only affecting one neighborhood out of 14, you know, ma you know major zones that we have. doesn't matter. That one, it's mission critical for them. And so any outage is a significant problem, acutely painful political repercussions. So there's that scale too that, uh, um, yeah, if, if you love working on stress, uh, work for a municipality, smart city, and try mm -hmm. to keep that secure. Um, but you mentioned vulnerabilities. I want to now let's pivot on to the gaps because yeah. there's so much going on and I've seen some competitions. Um, actually, Europe's been doing a lot of big pushes. Uh, Copenhagen, Antwerp, Amsterdam. I've been looking at some of their programs. They actually have like financial incentives to get people, just anybody in, in, the, in the country if you've got an app that you think of that can help, and they're not even saying it has to have, have it to be an app that does this, they're leaving it wide open. Submit your ideas for new apps and we'll help you fund it and build it. Yep. But what I'm seeing is they're not building security into these apps any more than, I mean, face it, any of our listeners who've been in security any length of time knows that the big problem is a lot of uh, the applications we deal with don't really have a whole lot of security built in. That's still a major gap we're dealing with uh, here. And when you start opening the door to inventors and first-time startups to be your primary source for applications on something like a smart city network, that's going to be a big gap. But I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because as I've read some reports from Barclays and other major financial investment firms, they've been talking about where they want their people to invest. And they're, they're actually telling people don't invest in the applications what you want to do, the safe bet and where the need is most is infrastructure. So mm -hmm. is that something that you're seeing in, in what you've been working with? Yeah, I think what you're what you're talking about is uh, the public private partnership. Right. And like you said, I think a lot of European countries have recognized that a public private partnership is key. So that's why they're having these kind of tech innovative challenges, um, you know, especially I think in the Nordic Baltic urban areas. It took place earlier this year. Uh, like you said, they are inviting startups to uh, to propose ideas for things like a healthier city lifestyle, sustainable urban infrastructure, right? Um, Reimagining like just transport and mobility in these cities, right? And so. Uh, I think that that's the right approach, like partnership between public and private sector, I think is super critical. Um, and, you know, you could leverage the the expertise and the um, you know innovation that comes from startups. Right. And you can leverage the experience from city administrators and city officials on how to effectively run these larger cities. So it's kind of a win win um, for both. But uh, again, there are challenges, right? Um, how do you troubleshoot any issues with the infrastructure? How do you detect hacks and attacks and, and stop them? So those are some of the uh, some of the challenges. And when you look at the infrastructure alone, back to your question about infrastructure security, right? Um, it could become the weak link if if not done right, right? And I think connectivity, interconnectivity is super critical, but also. Uh, there should be some level of foundational security that can be uh, 
leveraged in, in a smart city environment. So what I mean by that is like we talked about earlier, you can't, these devices, the endpoint devices or whatever, the smart sensors, they are not built for security. They are built for scale. They are, you know, built for the, the particular um, function that they were designed to do, right? Security is generally an afterthought. It's non-existent. So where else in the infrastructure can you bolster security? And, and one of the ways, uh, one of the areas in the infrastructure that supports um, uh, these IoT devices or the smart sensors is, is DNS, right? Because um, either these are IP-enabled devices or they connect to a gateway that is IP-enabled. And so um, oh, and when it's IP-enabled, it does DNS requests. It uses DNS to, um, you know, to connect, to go to a server, to... Uh, to send data back and forth, uh, to get additional in instructions, things like that. So, um, so one way to bolster security in uh, in a smart city type um, IoT deployment is to leverage DNS for foundational security. So, uh, if there we saw, I think maybe 2016, I believe that connected cameras were launching DDoS attacks because they were hacked. The password was easily hacked. And it formed a botnet and it started launching DDoS attacks um, back in the day, like a few years ago. So um, when you put, when you leverage DNS security, things like put, uh, use threat intelligence um, to make sure these devices are not connecting to a known bad destination and are not forming a botnet, um, you can actually uh, stop things like, um, you know, botnet formation or having... Uh, data exfiltrated to an external destination from these devices, right? So, um, or, uh, you know, general malware-related, um, you know, negative impact uh, can be minimized when you use DNS-based security. So I think that is kind of like a baseline that you can, um, that, that smart cities can, can do to, um, to make sure there is some amount of security in these IoT environments. Well, I was thinking, you know, just uh, I remember early on when uh, I, I think I took when I was in high school, they uh, were doing positive mental attitude and all that. And one of them was talking about stoplights shouldn't be called stoplights. They should be called go lights, yeah. because if they all stop working, if they all go out of commission, traffic stops. It doesn't go. Traffic lights make things go. And so, you know, there's that kind of thing, you know, they can do just the, the hacktivism type of stuff where they can infiltrate these devices. Um, but your uh, botnet example of where they can be used to, to attack other things. Um, let's keep in mind the scale issue you brought up earlier. Um, City of Los Angeles has about 5,000 traffic lights. So just traffic lights. They also have um, packing uh, or parking meters in, again, tens of thousands. There's so many of these devices that, you know, attackers only have to hack that one system. And you mentioned again, they all run on a common infrastructure. If they can compromise the infrastructure, that gives them access to everything. They can then compromise all those devices, either again, to directly cause damage or steal data, or they can just use them for another attack. Because for something like the, the dial of service attacks, one of the big problems they have is compromising systems. And so they can hire some, you know, guy who's great at crafting phishing emails so that they can send it out and try to, gee, can we get 25,000 consumer PCs? 
And then when we launch our attack, let's hope that all 25-7 are actually on at that moment. You know, well, maybe half of them, you know, it's nighttime, they've turned their computers off because we got them around the world. So if they're lucky, they get 10,000 to actually work at the time they need them. It's a lot of work. But if they can compromise one system, and that's one of the things I've noticed here is that the smart cities, they have so many resources for the bad guys that they may not be the direct victim, but they can be the launch pad of a major attack that could then have big impact. Um, and you mentioned the DNS side, but there's also the, the side I wanted to highlight here. I'm shifting gears here for people who haven't picked this up here, because if you're watching the view, you can see my head nod. <laughs> but audio, no. So the other part of this infrastructure, though, is if they're all remote, one of the biggest problems I hear from people on any network, in a business or corporate network, one of the biggest problems they, they complain about is they don't know what's on their network. They, they never know. And in this kind of a network, um, who's going to know that all of a sudden 10 new devices just showed up on the, the traffic light network? 10 new devices, they kind of fit the profile, but they actually aren't supposed to be there. Who would know that? How would you recognize it out of 45,000? This is where things like DHCP management, IPAM, you know, and even you mentioned DNS. Those are services that a lot of us take for granted. We just ship it off and no, there's a cloud service. I'll just use that. But taking those things in-house, that's what they, uh, in my mind, that's what they really need to be doing. They need to take those services in-house, their core services, if they can control those, if they manage those, that helps, number one, reduce the, the opportunities for the attackers, but it also ensures that visibility and control capability you mentioned about. Would you agree with that approach? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I think uh, DNS, DHCP, and IP address management are tightly linked services that work together to make sure that um, anything that's connecting to the network uh, is able to connect, number one. Um, it is, um, it's resilient to, um, uh, to attacks. And also, um, uh, you know, you get that visibility with the IP address management. So anything that needs to connect, anything that needs an IP address, your IP address management solution is going to know about it. It's going to be in the database, right? So you, you overcome that challenge of not knowing what's on your network. If you just look at an enterprise-grade IP address management solution. You'll know what's on your network, right? Yeah, and, and I want to make a call out because uh, we actually have a, a good section of our listener base are uh, people who are in their first few years of security or, you know, in universities about to graduate in this area and they're, they're pursuing it, that if you have that IP visibility and so forth, those are the platforms that then can connect and make things like zero trust more possible. Um, you know, like the the DNS calls can actually be, uh, you know, linked and connected to things like automation systems, vulnerability testing systems. These foundational systems can then be leveraged for so many other things that you hear about that, oh, well, if you're going to do security, you need to have this capability. Yeah, but what's going to trigger that capability? Like a smart city where, yeah, these things are all great. Every one of them, we've got the best traffic light system. We've got the best water you know, management system. But it's when they connect together that they start getting some scale. And that's the same thing with all these security solutions. So I think that's why you know the Barclays and other investment firms of the, of the universe are basically saying, make sure the smart cities are building a good foundation at this level, at the infrastructure level, 
And then you build those other things on top of it and you get actually more out of those investments later on. That's exactly right. And I think you bring up a good point on zero trust. So zero trust is all about the identity of the device and the identity of the user, right? And so um, the the IP address, the, uh, the IP metadata or IP, um, IPAM metadata as we call it, or the and the DHCP fingerprint information will give you all the information you need about the identity of the device, right? Um, is it a, a machine running Windows? Is it a um, is it a Mac? Is it you know some sort of sm- a smart meter? Because you know the more profiling you can do, the more you get information about the identity of the device. Um, yeah. And of course, you can get information about the user if it is a laptop, if there is some integration with AD uh, type solutions. But um, and then they can, uh, you know, organizations or smart cities can implement policies based on the identity, right? I'm going to allow mm-hmm. this part of the network, these type of devices to have this type of access, right? And it becomes easier to, to do that uh, zero trust policy enforcement. Yeah, I do want to quit do a quick call out because the. Uh... You know, we kind of went into IPAM and and the identity access information, knowing what's on your network. Uh, we actually did a two part podcast here about a month or so ago for anybody who wants to really drill into that. Um, entitled "Who's uh, Do You Know Who's on Your Network? Um, who or What Is on Your Network?" Actually, because and that's in the smart city sense because most of these devices, you said the device and the user, and in most cases, it's just the device. There is no user identity to set up the is this a trusted user? It's all about, is this a trusted device? And that's the management nightmare that these guys face. That's right. Absolutely right. I just want to wrap up. We actually uh, have had a lot of good discussion here. Um, we've got just a few minutes left. Ransomware, you know, it's almost like, okay, I think there's a law. I'm not allowed to have a podcast unless we talk about ransomware. So <laughs> we're going to bring this up. But also because ransomware has been seen, uh, you know, in a lot of corporate environments, but not so much at the municipal level. How much are we seeing this in? I mean, is it just like corrupting all the records so that they can't see what traffic like activity has been? Or is it causing shutdowns? What's the impact of ransomware in a smart city? So you will be surprised that there has been a lot of ransomware attacks on cities in the last like two, two and a half years, right? Um, um, and and it's not like for any fault of the city, but it's it's just attackers have gotten more um, creative, right? And so um, you know, back back in in December 2019, uh, one of, one of the cities in Florida was infected by maze ransomware. For those of you who remember the maze ransomware uh, pop up its ugly head uh, like a year and a half ago. Um, And and the maze ransomware is different in that it not only just holds the data for a hostage, but if, um, you know, it could also leak that data to to bad actors or sell it in, in, in uh, in the black market, right? So, um, and if you don't pay the ransom. So this particular city was held hostage for, I think, a million dollars, if I remember. And um, when the ransomware attack happened, like I said, you know, smart cities is not just about these sensors. It's about their um, their digital systems and communication systems, right, that they're used for processing online payments from uh, or providing services to the community, so all of those systems were down during this ransomware attack. And, um, and and so what happened was the city's IT department had to take down many of their systems as a precaution. They didn't want it to, didn't want the impact to be worse. So 
uh, they had to take proactively take down a lot of their systems, which means the community was not getting the services that they need. Online payment systems for energy and utilities were affected. Um, so was the city's sanitation department services. So um, you know, it's 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 larger than just you know maybe a traffic light not working or um, a parking meter not working. This is like your whole ecosystem is kind of down from from a city perspective and uh there are many other cities you know um georgia had ransomware the, the state of georgia had some other cities get attacked with samsam ransomware and all of the recovery costs are definitely in the millions right um i've seen numbers like 17 million recovery cost uh for one particular city um two million to remediate right um things like that so um it's it's expensive for these smart cities um and this, these are unexpected costs and yeah. and you know as you all know you know cities have tight budgets and when you have such unexpected costs it can really um impact their their um their capability to respond and and also impact citizen services so um you know the, ransomware is definitely not sparing any of these smart cities it's it's targeting them just as it's targeting, let's say, a financial institution or, yeah. or a retail. So, all right. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, as usual, we've run out of time before we've run out of things to talk about. So, Krupa, really, thank you very much for joining us today. Happy to happy to have the conversation. Yeah. yeah I'm glad we were able to, to get you to uh, fit us in because I know you've been really crazy busy the last few weeks. And thank you to all of our viewers and listeners for your time. Join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk.